0: And now I look and I do feel like I should pinch myself because he is a walking example and living proof of the list that I asked for. And by not settling, because there were some counterfeits that came along the way first.
1: When I began on my entrepreneur journey, can we even call it a journey? It feels like so much more than that. (laughs) I dove in headfirst or belly flopped in many cases. I had no idea what I was heading into and was quite surprised by what I found in many corners of the space. I was determined, stubborn, somewhat naive, I'm sure. (laughs) There were lots of people with lots of advice and lots of people who wanted to take my money very quickly as well. I tried to dip my toe in this, that and everything else along the way. (laughs) In 2017, I did a podcast series called The Path to Finding Your Groove. And right now, with our next guest alongside me, I feel like that groove is really developing. Many of you will be familiar with the voice that we're going to hear today. She's known as the Princess in the Red Dress. Fierce leader, collaboration master, so many different aspects to this wonderful, wonderful woman who motivates us every day. I'm so very honoured to be in the position to have this conversation, and I cannot tell you enough how important this woman is to me. I'm Linda Bonney, and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. Kim White welcome to the community (laughs) thank you so much for joining us all right so I'm gonna dive straight in (laughs) I'd love to know a little bit about that famous trailer that you are now currently living in I believe and traveling around a little bit with your wonderful cowboy hubby Tell me a little bit about that, how that came to happen and what that looks like, feels like. And I know we have seen a little bit of the surroundings through Zoom and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Tell me more.
0: (laughs) Well, we do live in what's called a fifth wheel. It's a kind of an RV and we did this because I was traveling all over the U.S., And we were staying in hotels because I was speaking at all these different events. And when you think of traveling and you think about going to all these things, it sounds pretty glamorous until you do it. And then you realize you're in a different bed, you're in a different room, you're in a different environment constantly. And so we were just tired. We, We wanted our own bed and our own things. And that was our solution we found, was Mm. that we could buy a fifth wheel, this RV, and we could have our own bed every night, no matter where we were at in the country. So it has been an amazing adventure, lots of learning curves. When you pull something down the road that's 43 feet long, (laughs) you have to learn some things. But it has been an amazing adventure just to be able to take our puppies everywhere with us and feel like we are taking our home with us instead of leaving home all the time. Yeah, and
1: your puppies are such an important part of the family as well. I couldn't imagine having to wake up and leave them for weeks or even just a day or two, and have that irregularity and not be able to, you know, be
0: with them every day as well. We had to, to do without pets of any kind for a long time mm-hmm. because we couldn't take them to all the places and get to the places on time. And like, they are a lot of responsibility, but they bring so much to our lives that, now I couldn't, I just couldn't imagine going back. I couldn't imagine going back to not having them or, you know, not having them with me constantly actually because they're just always right by my side. Yeah, and
1: they definitely are in my mind when I think of yourself and picture, <laughs> picture <laughs> that in my head as well. I can't imagine you not having them by your side. It's yeah quite interesting how that has made quite a mark in my mind. And I think there's lots of other memories for me in the well, fairly short time we've known each other, but it feels like a long time <laughs> <laughs> sometimes as well. So I know there's certain phrases or sayings that you will say and sometimes I'll hear your voice in my head <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry no, it's, it's not a bad thing sometimes at all <laughs> it's just a lovely reminder while I'm cooking dinner or all sorts of things so and one of the things I've heard you say quite often is you don't have to do that anymore Hmm. Can you expand on that? Can you expand on that? Can we have a little discussion, quick chat about that and what that, oh, tell just splurge, go for it.
0: (laughs) Well, it came from a not a good place. I will start with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in an abusive marriage and one night after, You know, all the things that had escalated, it was pretty often that it was happening. I got a knock on my door late at night, and it was a policeman standing on my porch. And he called me outside, and he wanted to know if everything was okay. And in my mind, I'm going quickly through all of the Rolodex in my mind, you know, all the things, all the information. Mm -hmm. I don't have any blood. I've already cleaned up. I... You know, I don't have any marks that he can see. I don't have anything going on. So surely he doesn't know anything. And he didn't didn't let it go. And so one of the things that he said to me, because I had been living that way for like a very, very long time, and I didn't know I could do something different. I just had no idea, which sounds silly saying it now, but at the time I was young and I didn't know.
1: i I actually know exactly exactly Mm. what you're talking about
0: well Mm. his words changed my life forever and he just simply said you don't have to do that anymore Mm. and my mind immediately raced to how can i not like all of the things that were going on i i don't know how i couldn't do this like this is what happens, this is what you you do. You don't get a divorce. You don't leave. You don't do those things. And so when he said that, it changed everything for me. I started making a plan to stop the abuse. I started making a plan to get my children somewhere that they weren't given a bad example of what life should look like. And I have carried that through every part of my life since then i did get out i had you know it was rough i did leave and i did have um you know a bumpy time but i did it and when i come up against anything that is painful or a pain point that i can do something about that's mm-hmm. the thing that resonates in my head i hear him in my head linda Of, I don't have to do that anymore. So I have lived 30 30 years with that. I don't have to do that. And whatever that is, it can be all kinds of things. It can be with like imposter syndrome when we're trying to do something. That can be, you know, I don't have to live in debt anymore. Mm -hmm. That can be You can just fill in the blank of whatever that is. Don't let that stop you from doing something because you really don't have to do that anymore.
1: Mm. It's such an inspiring story. And I have heard it in different ways or different places at different stages of my own growth as well. And it's still has quite an impact, not only for me, but I'm sure for many people that come across or think about what that impact that actually has and how much we can fall into just doing that thing because we think it is somehow satisfying or we think it's the right thing to do or the uh, the magic bullet sometimes as well that allows us to really I think get off track if we're not careful and yeah there's there's quite an interesting reflection in thinking about my own journey and in what that means as well so thank you for the reminder mm-hmm.
0: thank you for asking because that is an important piece of where I came from and who I am today.
1: Yeah. And so going back a little bit further, let's go right back a little bit more to before that patch of your life. What was it like for you growing up? Where were you born and raised? And tell me a little bit of those fond memories and what they looked like for you.
0: Well, I tell you, Like my fondest memories are from way back. I was raised with my grandma and grandpa, who I called nanny and papa. They were the ones who took care of me while my mom worked and just influenced me in such huge ways. They're the ones I learned how to be, I think, hospitable or have hospitality they, they were always, you know, inviting someone in. They didn't have much, but whatever they had, they shared. Mm-hmm. And they were always loving on people. They were always being good to everybody around them. And I think that that's probably one of my foundational things for my life is mm-hmm. watching them live their life in a happy way mm-hmm. and not needing... A ton of material things, but loving each other, loving their family, loving those around them—it was just such a great example. It was very short-lived because by the time I was eleven, my my papa passed away,
1: hmm.
0: and my nanny—you know—she was devastated, of course. But hmm. those first years of my life is very foundational as to who I am today. They were the ones that really taught me how to love on people and how to I think live in community, maybe that's the right word. Yeah. To <laughs> you know, be together. To be together and just learned how to interact with people. hmm Just it, it just is a very sweet memory. I'm getting all emotional, sorry. Oh, no, please don't apologise. It's, uh, it's not intended
1: to <laughs> to be that way. I, I just, I also spent a fair bit of time growing up with my grandparents as well and they lived about, would have been an hour and a half away at that time in the country. So we would go down there for weeks at a time. Quite, from quite a young age and yeah my pa would grow a lot of the vegetables and the fruit and lots of different things in the garden and mumble under his breath about the fact that the crows had stolen the strawberries again even though it was myself and my sister who would get out of that. and I'm <laughs> sure he knew that I'm sure that he knew that we would would come in with red faces and everything else like that, but he used to blame the the animals or whatever else was going on. And, yeah, my nan would bake bread and make homemade ice cream and the most amazing roast dinners as well. So very, very fond memories of that time in my life as well. And they also were not around for much past my early teens, unfortunately, either. So it was hard, hard patch there for a while without realising it was because I was wrapped up in teenager land. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only looking back now as an adult in many ways that I probably felt like I didn't realise the impact that it had
0: Mm-hmm. It sounds like they had a huge impact on you, though, in the same way that mine did. Definitely. Like I don't, I don't think I would be. I just don't think I would be who I was without that part of my life.
1: No, not at all. <laughs> did it take you a little while after moving on or needing to come to terms with some of the grief that they? weren't in your life anymore did it take a while to do you think adapt to that for
0: you I think it took a very long time actually um that was that was really my first big loss in my life was my my papa and it was a very deep loss obviously and I think from that point until and this is a really long span of time, but I think from that point until I left my abusive marriage, mm-hmm. I think that's how long I was grieving mm-hmm. because I didn't know what to do with the grief. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to handle it. And a lot of things started happening after, basically after my papa wasn't there to protect me anymore. Yeah. I went through a lot of things that I'll just say no child should have to go through. Mm -hmm. And I think because of, you know, grieving, grieving him on top of not knowing how to navigate through some other abusive situations, I didn't know what to do. So I really had, and I hate to call it this, Linda, but I, I almost had a death wish. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand the pain I was feeling mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do with it. And then you had all the teenager stuff on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was so lost and so mm-hmm. hurting that I took a lot of risk as a teenager that maybe I wouldn't have if it wouldn't have been for that loss. I did some pretty stupid things. And I really do believe that they came from a sense of not knowing and not belonging and not, not just not understanding. I didn't have anyone to help me navigate that. I didn't want to burden my nanny because, you know, she was grieving my papa too. Mm -hmm. And it turned into just a very lonely, I think, an isolated time in my life after he passed. So I don't have a, I don't have a short story about that. It's pretty, it's pretty long. Like years went by with me not knowing what to do with myself over that.
1: And unfortunately I can also relate quite, uh, it's not easy, (laughs) but it's a, natural relation in a way because I'm always so very intrigued as to how on earth let's take mine and yours example for instance how on earth do really good people end up in quite abusive situations it's a question I don't think I'll ever get an answer to however I know when I fell into The depths of getting swallowed up, (laughs) if you like, into my own situation. I just had a car accident at 19 and I basically was travelling home and hit some loose gravel and it just started raining after a very hot period and flipped my car five times up a hill. And it was literally... Not that long after that event, when I was feeling very vulnerable and lonely and isolated and confused and lost, that I, looking back now, can see that it was almost, yeah, like you say, a little bit of a death wish, a little bit of a hot situation, which I felt absolutely no control over
0: hmm Hmm. (laughs) that that may be exactly the common denominator is having no control yeah like having no control over the situation looking for control and not even in like a control freak kind of way just feeling like you're at the mercy of anything and everyone around you I know for me, I was escaping. I was hurting so bad. I was making bad choices, didn't know what to do. Like, all of that was wrapped into this pretty little package. And my first husband showed up basically on my doorstep. And he would sit outside and wait for me to come home from work And he would like, he pursued me hard. Yeah. He would just be wherever I was. And, you know, back then, with no sense of belonging, no sense of understanding, you know, my, I felt like my home base was gone. So when he kept showing up and kept showing up, it was almost more of a giving in that this must be what. I need to do. Yep. And it was mm-hmm. it wasn't because I thought he was the best thing ever. It it was more just I needed to escape from some other abusive things. I just didn't know I was jumping from the frying pan into the fire. Mm-hmm. I thought I was escaping the abuse that was going on and instead I walked full on into much worse abuse and much bigger, Mm -hmm. um, I think life decisions because then I, you know, got pregnant and that's no longer just me. Yeah. It's no longer just me trying to navigate. Now I've got this little human that I'm responsible for that, you know, and I don't know how to be a good mama. I don't know how to be anything. So I had to stop and figure out, how I was going to learn that. Still learning. <laughs> yes. My baby's 32 years old now, my youngest. And I would say I am still learning, you know, every week something I can do better. So yeah. I, I think it's lifelong. <laughs> mm, I imagine so. <laughs> mm.
1: So it must be quite a contrast to the world that you live in today. (laughs) And I know on many, many occasions how appreciative you are of that and how very dreamlike it can feel sometimes. You almost have to wake up and pinch yourself (laughs) as to, wow, this is actually my life now. Tell me a little bit about how that feels fast-forwarding towards now and what magnificent memories you're creating
0: to overcome some of that hurt? You know, I don't know that I have ever experienced love in the way that I have starting at 50. So this wasn't a young thing. This wasn't a, you know, I, I fell in love as a teenager. It really was none of that. I did not find what I would call true love until I hit 50.
1: Yeah.
0: And my sexy cowboy, who is, you know, that's what I call my husband, <laughs> he came into my life in, a, in another really, what I would call a dark time in my life, a really melty time. Everything on the outside was amazing. Mm-hmm. All the things that I wanted as far as a business owner and entrepreneur. That was not the problem. It was all the personal things. It was the not having someone to go through life with in the way that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I literally wrote a list, 127 things with bullet points. (laughs) And I decided I wasn't going to settle until I had someone that met those things. And just to be like really transparent None of those things were about what someone looked like or the superficial things. I wanted someone who I could count on. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone who would love me when I'm messy because I am messy. And now I look and I do feel like I should pinch myself because he is a walking example and living proof of the list that I asked for. And by not settling because there were some counterfeits that came along the way first. Whoa. But
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just had this mental visual image of cowboys
0: in in the (laughs) ring together. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have to giggle and look back because, you know, I don't look at it as I am any sort of prize because that is like, I just want to say that out loud, but I, I believe in the two years before he came along I was proposed to 117 times. What? Oh. I surprised. laugh because <laughs> that's all superficial though. Like there are people who they wanted what it looked like on the outside. They weren't really looking for a relationship to to be messy and to be real. And Mm -hmm. I wanted someone who didn't mind knowing that I wake up with my hair everywhere and no makeup and like that. They wanted the real me. I wanted someone who I could love and they would love me for who I really am. Not for, you know, the outside, get ready for the camera kind of life. Mm -hmm. And I found that like, and I'll be honest, he found me, I, I was not looking, I just was focusing on that list and on being the best human I could be. And here he comes, you know, riding in on a white horse, which I have to giggle because it's really, um, it's really true. He did Mm -hmm. have a white horse and he did like... (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the fun part of the story is you know he 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 did. He rode in on a white horse and swept me off my feet for sure. And now almost six years later, we are still I have never been this in love with anyone. I have never felt like so comfortable. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly. He sees everything about me. And I'll give you an example. This is not very attractive. I'll just tell you, but I had food poisoning last week. And if anyone's ever had food poisoning, it's Mm -hmm. not pretty. It's not a pretty, (laughs) you know, position to be in. Uh -uh. He took complete care of me while I am, you know, projectile. He took care of everything to make sure that I was okay. Okay. And the next morning I was laughing and, or I wasn't laughing. I told him, I said, "Um, I'm hot. You know, I was talking about, I felt hot because I had had a fever the night before. (laughs) I feel I'm I'm hot. And he turns around and he looks at me and he says, yes, you are. (laughs) And and I thought that's, that to me is true love. You just watched (laughs) me throwing up you watched me not even you know not even a few hours ago being so grossly sick and now you still look at me and he tells me all the time how beautiful I am Mm -hmm. and he means it like there's such a not superficial thing about him I honestly thought when we first met he had to be the best scammer I had ever met or he he was the most honest man on the planet. And Hmm. thankfully I found out he was the most honest man, but yeah, I, he had to jump through a lot of hoops to convince me he was real because I had never met anyone who loved anyone like that before.
1: Yeah. And I think It only helps us succeed as people when we feel very accepted and loved for who we are, all the sides, all the bits. And that that stands for all of our life, not just whether we're 50 or 5 or 105. It's something which we all very much desire to have that full very true acknowledgement Hmm.
0: and you know Linda I will say that one of the things that had to happen at least for me in my life and I think it's true of others I had to learn to love me as is before I could believe that someone else would love me as is I spent a lot of years not understanding things and I think it does go back to the grief from my papa passing away and then some things that happened after that that had nothing to do with my grandparents and I look at that you know that place of I was very sparkly very excitable very I'll call it shiny and extra whatever word you want to put to it but I was very Full throttle when I was little. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that was kind of zapped out of me through the middle part of my life. Mm -hmm. And when I came to that place of, I'm going to be myself, you know, I'm 55 and I'm a princess. And I don't hide that. I'm not a diva, like, I'm not snobby, but I definitely am a princess. I, you know, I like to be spoiled in like relationship kind of ways. I love hard. I love community. I love being together. I love hearing what other people are doing. Like all of those things are what make up who I really am Mm -hmm. and hiding that for so long was, it was really bad for me. It just really was not a good thing, but I didn't know what to do you know, I didn't know how to do anything different. Mm-hmm. And so when I learned to look at myself in the mirror and tell myself, it doesn't even matter what the outside looks like. It doesn't matter what the inside look. like. You know, it doesn't matter. I am beautiful like I am. I'm amazing. And it's because I was chosen to be this human that I am. I wasn't chosen to be Linda, Mm -hmm. I wasn't chosen to be, you know, another person. I was chosen to be me. And when you can accept that and when you can come to terms with that and really lean into being who you are, the things you like, the personality that you were given and all of that, I think something really incredible happens to us. Mm -hmm. And I think it opened me up to allowing myself to believe that this man could love me like this. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I don't think I would have allowed him to love me. Not, not realizing, like not making conscious choices about it, but I don't think I would have allowed him to love me if I wouldn't have started to appreciate who I was and look at my own self in the mirror, look in my own eyes and acknowledge the fact that I'm incredible. It's the being and doing part. It's not all the things I'm doing that makes me an amazing human. Mm-mm. It's it's the being. I'm I'm being an incredible human that does things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a big part of the story too is we have the choice to allow people into our lives or not. Mm. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And we're creating so many of our own experiences along the way too. Mm. (laughs) I'm so glad that we were able to circle back to that amazing current reality that you are living and displaying and I get to also witness very often, as well, because it's a great demonstration to those around you about how it can really be very accepting and inviting. And so, I just want to say out loud, as I'm sure many of us do, just thank you so much. I'm forever grateful for having you in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. And one day, I'd like to sit down for a roast dinner (laughs) (laughs) or something very similar being that you're um, meat-free and enjoying a vegan lifestyle at the moment, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) But as we do draw to a close for this conversation, could you share with me your favourite Sunday roast memory?
0: Mm. You know, I have quite a few because my nanny cooked a lot but it was part of our routine or the cadence of our life whenever I was little that we would have like Sunday dinners together. Our whole extended family would come and I lived with my nanny and papa so I was already there and you know quote unquote (laughs) required to be there. But my cousins would all come. My aunts and uncles would come. And we would spend every Sunday lunchtime and then in the afternoon together as a big family. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. probably one of my very favorite memories is just watching my nanny prepare everything. She's the one that taught me how to cook. So from the time I was three... Which sounds like it's so young, but she would stand me at the counter and let me mix up ingredients of things.
1: Yeah, yep. I've done that with my boys. From <laughs> yep, my <way>, one from... one <laughs> year old puts toast in the toaster. He puts the bread yes. in the toaster and cooks the whole toast, and then takes it out and puts it on the plate and tries to spread it. Mm. Yes. Uh, it's yep. So
0: one minion. Papa would eat the things that I would make and act like it was really good. And I think back and I think none of it was probably even edible, but they would do their best. But I think those kind of memories kind of run together. And that is one of my sweetest memories is just being in the kitchen with my nanny and, and Mm. enjoying like extended family. And it just is a very sweet time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yep, and there are so many stories that are being shared of that very nostalgic and warm uh, memories that land so very very solidly and very well at the same time. So, mm, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. I fully honour and appreciate your time. And this has been a lot of fun. Well, also very insightful and captivating of my own thoughts as well.
0: So thank you. Thank you, Linda. And thank you for doing this project. This is an incredible opportunity for all of us to get to know each other better. Absolutely.
1: Maybe you might be able to see why so many of my guests have mentioned the dear Princess Kim White. <laughs> She is famously featured in a red dress on many of her platforms and profiles. And I really look forward to meeting, greeting and hugging the life out of that red dress one day. (laughs) A little closer to home, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a 93-year-old on the famous... Doyle Avenue in Hobart, Tasmania. Just a hop, skip and a jump away from where I currently am and a conversation which blew my little feathers out of my mind. It's happened with me for a long time and very inspirational in its entirety. It is a bit of a longer one because we just happened to find ourselves stirring a coffee in the middle of it and continuing to chat about old times. Come with me as we chat to Dawn on Doyle Avenue. And I remember walking down the street from the flat to the shops thinking I wish somebody would say hello Dawn because I'd lived my whole life over in Melbourne and seven miles away
0: for those two years and everybody knew me. Yeah, and uh, because it was only a little present, and um, I really had a craving for somebody to say out of the blue hello door and nobody did, it, of course, because nobody knew me. But eventually, mm. I got to know people. But it's harder when you go somewhere if you're working, you meet people, and you're yeah. not. It's it's that more difficult.
1: To hear more about current projects and the book, head over to lindabody.com. I gladly invite you into the community. Thank you so much for joining us.